Section 15 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 3 Rantaine. About forty years before the period at which the events we are here relating took place, in the suburbs of Paris, near the circumscribing wall between the Fosse aux Lions and the Tombe Isoire, there stood a suspicious house. It was an isolated hovel, a resort for cutthroats when needful. There, with his wife and his child, dwelt a sort of bourgeois ruffian, a former clerk to the procurator of the Châtelet, who had become a thief, pure and simple. He figured later on in the court of Assizes. This family was named Rantaine. Two flowered porcelain cups were to be seen on a mahogany chest of drawers in the wretched hovel. On one could be read in gilt letters, Souvenir of Friendship, and on the other, Token of Esteem. The child was in the den, pell-mell with crime. The father and mother having belonged to the demi-bourgeoisie, the child was taught to read. He was brought up after a fashion. The mother, pale, almost in rags, mechanically gave an education to her little one, making him spell and breaking off to help her husband in some evil desire or to sell herself to a passer-by. Meanwhile the cross of Jesus remained open on the table at the place where they had stopped, and the child beside it, in thought. The father and mother, caught in the very act of committing some crime, disappeared in penal obscurity. The child also disappeared. Le Thierry, in his wanderings, encountered another adventurer like himself, rescued him from some predicament, rendered him a service for which he was grateful, took a liking to him, befriended him, brought him to Guernsey, found him intelligent at the coasting business, and made him his partner. This man was little Rantin grown up. Rantin, like Thierry, had a robust neck, a large and powerful space for carrying burdens between his shoulders, and the loins of the Farnes Hercule. Thierry and he had the same gait and the same build. Rantin was the taller of the two. Those who saw their backs as they walked along the port, side by side, said, "'Yonder are the two brothers!' From the front it was another matter. All that was open in Thierry's countenance was reserved and cautious in Rantaine. Rantaine was circumspect. Rantaine was a master of fencing, played the harmonica, snuffed a candle with a bullet at twenty paces, dealt a magnificent blow of the fist, recited verses from La Henriade, and interpreted dreams. He knew by heart Trenuri's Le Tombeau de Saint-Denis, he affirmed that he had been connected with the Sultan of Calicut, whom the Portuguese call the Samorin. If any one could have turned over the little notebook which he carried on his person, one would have found, among other notes, jottings like the following. At Lyon, in one of the fissures of the wall of one of the dungeons of St. Joseph, there is a file hidden. He spoke with grave deliberation. He said that he was the son of a chevalier of St. Louis. His linen was mismatched and marked with different letters. No one was more sensitive than he on the score of honor. 
He fought and killed his man. He had something of the mother of an actress in his watchful glance for an insult, strength serving to envelop subtlety. That was Rantaine. The force of his blow, applied in a fair upon a moor's head, had forever won the heart of Lethierry. His adventures were wholly unknown in Guernsey. They were checkered. If destinies have a wardrobe, Rantaine's destiny must have been clad as a harlequin. He had seen the world and made life. He was a circumnavigator. His trades formed a scale. He had been cook in Madagascar, bird-raiser in Sumatra, a general in Honolulu, an editor of a religious journal in the Galapagos Islands, a poet at Umrauti, a Freemason at Haiti. In this last quality he had pronounced at Grand Guave a funeral oration of which the local journals have preserved this fragment. Farewell, then, beautiful soul, in the azure vault of the heavens whither thou now takest thy flight, thou wilt no doubt meet good Abbé Léandre Cramou of Petit Guave. Tell him that, thanks to ten years of glorious efforts, thou hast completed the church of L'Ansavo. Farewell, transcendent genius, model man. It will be seen that his Freemason's mask did not prevent his wearing the false nose of a Catholic. The first won him the good opinion of the men of progress, the second of the men of order. He declared himself a pure-blooded white. He hated the blacks. Nevertheless, he certainly admired Suluk. In Bordeaux, in 1815, he had been a royalist, Verdet. At that epoch the fumes of his royalism sprang from his brow in the form of an immense white plume. He had passed his life in making eclipses, appearing, disappearing, reappearing. He was a revolving light rascal. He knew some Turkish. Instead of guillotine he said, Depoisse. He had been a slave in Tripoli to a Thalib, and he had there learned Turkish to an accompaniment of blows. His duties had consisted in going at evening to the doors of the mosques, and there reading aloud before the faithful the Koran, written on small bits of board, or on the shoulder-blades of camels. He was probably a renegade. He was capable of everything and something worse. He burst with laughter and frowned at the same time. He said, In politics I esteem only those men who are inaccessible to influence. He said, I advocate morals. He was gay and cordial rather than otherwise. The shape of his mouth belied the sense of his words. His nostrils might have passed for the nostrils of a horse. At the corners of his eyes there were crossroads of wrinkles where all sorts of dark thoughts met together. The secret of his physiognomy could only be deciphered there. His crow's feet were the talons of a vulture. His skull was low at the top and broad at the temples. His ears, ill-shapen and encumbered with hairy thickets, seemed to say, Do not speak to the beast which is in this cave. One fine day no one at Guernsey knew what had become of Rantaine. Le Thierry's partner had slipped his cable, leaving the partnership cash-box empty. 
There was money of Rontaine's in that cash box, no doubt, but there were also fifty thousand francs belonging to Le Thierry. Le Thierry, in his business of coaster and ship carpenter, had saved one hundred thousand francs in the course of forty years of industry and probity. Rantaine had carried off half of it. Le Thierry, half ruined, did not flinch, and cast about instantly for some means to retrieve his fortune. The fortunes of men of spirit may be ruined, but not their courage. People were then beginning to talk about the steamboat. The idea occurred to Le Thierry to try Fulton's machine, whose merits were so contested, and to connect the Norman archipelago and France by steamer. He played his last trump on that idea. He devoted to it the remainder of his fortune. Six months after Rantaine's fight, a vessel with smoke was seen to issue from the stupefied fort of St. Sampson, which produced the effect of a fire at sea, the first steamer which navigated the channel. This boat, on which the hatred and contempt of all immediately bestowed the sobriquet of Le Thierry's Galliot, was announced to make regular trips from Guernsey to St. Malo. End of chapter 3. Rantaine.